everybody. I'm Mittens. Welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. Today we are going to be discussing Season 3, Episode 12, Juice and Bellow, which is one of my all-time favorite episodes. I was looking through my Tumblr notes for this episode, and even as far back as like 2014, I think it was, I had a post saying that this was in my top five favorite episodes to that point, so... Yeah, it was a while ago. There were a lot more seasons after that, but it's really up there. I'd say probably top 10 at least. So it was written by Sarah Gamble and directed by Phil Segresha. It's one episode that truly leaves us believing that Ruby was right. Unless you've actually seen the rest of the show, which is why I make this podcast, right? (laughs) Looking back at canon and with our knowledge of the whole thing to show how it changes and recolors our opinions of earlier episodes because it this one is majorly recast by future events it was also almost the series finale as it aired though the biggest crime this episode commits might be giving us victor henriksen like fleshing him out as a full-on character with a backstory and and then taking him away again though arguably the actual crime of that comes in season four episode two when he returns as a witness basically proving he was dead in this episode so he couldn't have faked his own death and escaped and become a hunter taken his new knowledge used his loss of identity and being supposedly killed here to start life over as a hunter or someone at least in the community which would have been a wonderful addition to the storyline But Sarah Gamble also wrote that episode, so she's the one who killed him, despite whatever she said about being, you know, she put that theory forth that, ooh, Victor might still, might have survived, he may have had a parachute, and you know, no, she's the one who ended up proving he was dead, so, hey, whatever. (laughs) The title of this episode, Juice and Bellow, means justice in war, so like the code of ethics with which one fights an ongoing battle or war. And that makes me extra focused on the morality being discussed in this episode, because that's obviously a huge part of it. The title itself is cueing you in that this is something to pay attention to. It was originally written to air 11th in the season where Mystery Spot aired, and Mystery Spot was supposed to be 12th, apparently. But Kripke felt this would make a better end to the season and or the entire series, If they didn't get picked up again, he made the switch in January before they started airing the remaining episodes that they had written and filmed. When you have to make a decision that this may be your series finale, he chose this episode to take that place. And a few scenes were sketched out and rearranged to make Mystery Spot make sense before this episode. And I personally am okay with that change. The way they finesse that into the story there is a little bit of a break, but it sort of drives Sam further into this moral space that he's in in this episode. So I do appreciate that change. Originally, it aired February 21st, 2008, less than two weeks after the writer's strike ended. So it's possible by the time this episode aired, they didn't even know if they were being renewed for season four or not. The public had not been informed of any decision about that either. So imagine going into this episode, watching this episode, 
having the whole future of the show up in the air. And then it goes on hiatus for two months while they're producing more episodes because they had to hastily write Ghost Facers and the rest of the season. Basically, they had like a month to to write the whole thing and then go into production very quickly and very quick turnaround times between writing, shooting, post-production, and then air, just straight to air. So from here on out, the season's kind of like a desperate scramble to salvage a story. And I promise sort of promise that this episode will not become a Victor Henriksen as a live truther podcast episode. But wouldn't it be amazing if he was? I mean, just God, they, they had such potential for such a wonderful character to add to the, to this world. And they were like, Oh no, we have to wrap his story up because he's no longer a threat to them. I'm like, dude, he could be an ally. You know, he'd be off there doing his own thing and we'd see him like a few times a season. He would have been great. One of my ongoing mental quibbles with Kripke in general and his writing style is this need to constantly destroy, to keep stripping his own story down to the bare bones and ignoring the potential for anything else interesting to happen and just having to create new stuff. But I mean, hey, that gave us a lot of interesting new stuff to play with down the line. But geez, you don't have to kill off everything you're done playing with. You don't have to break your toys so that nobody else can play with them. Oh, well, I like writing Victor. He's a fun character to write. Back to the point. I love this episode for so many reasons, but primarily on the lesson it delivers loud and clear. You know, going back to the title, but it's only clear once you watch through the rest of season four to finally be rewarded with the punchline. It's so easy to be lulled into the belief that Ruby is really on their side in this episode, that Dean is being unreasonable in refusing to trust her, or even that he should have respected Nancy's choice to sacrifice herself to save them all. All her friends were outside, 30 innocent people possessed by demons and her sacrifice could have saved all of those people. But instead it cost the six lives of people who were in that station Two, I think one or two of whom were already deceased by, by the time Lilith even showed up. So Lilith killed four people instead of the 30 that were outside, but that never gets addressed. It's framed as being one in the same situation throughout. And I'll talk about this as we go through the episode, Because those 30 people did get saved. They all walked home. All those people who'd been possessed by demons. Nancy's friend who she wanted to save. She was exercised. They all lived. They'd gone home. So they were all saved by Sam and Dean's actions. That's easy to forget in the aftermath hearing people you made an emotional connection with died though. Something I want everyone to remember as we watch this episode is that Sam and Dean's actions and choices did not kill all those people. Everyone in the building survived their time there. Lilith killed those people. Lilith chose to come in after they'd left and thought everybody was safe to prove Ruby's point to Sam and Dean and to further Lilith's agenda, which we know runs very, very deep. I'm going to back up a second before we start talking about Lilith. And the lesson is, no matter what you choose, we will always end up here. Sound familiar? No matter what Sam and Dean would have chosen in this, in this episode, those people would have died. 
they saved as many as they could without killing anyone in order to do it. They didn't compromise their own morality in order to do it. And it really feels like Chuck's hand in the story, especially knowing what comes later, that Dean was right all along about Ruby. He even says it in the season three finale that, hey, what if Ruby's working for Lilith? And there was something a lot bigger happening that was setting them all up for something worse, but they couldn't see the bigger picture yet. And as much as Chuck's story might be trying to drive them to make the choices he wants them to, once they have enough information to be capable of overriding those false choices, it only reinforces their position in the narrative. Like, it makes Sam and Dean this force that Chuck has to double down on. And it feels like they made a very deliberate choice to remind us of this in season 15 when they literally bring Lilith back to be a direct agent of Chuck's will, powerless to do anything but play her role in the, in the, his story. Like, it's even over a fancy gun that can kill anything again. We've been hearing rumors about this big, powerful demon consolidating power all season long, like before it was used to guilt trip Sam about his refusal to step up and lead the demon army, you know, that this person was, you know, had cast him, him aside and taken his throne or whatever that he was supposed to be on. And yeah, we all know that's a bunch of crap because later Canon confirms it was a bunch of crap. <laughs> but this is the first time we actually meet Lilith and her first more direct interaction with Sam and Dean. And we won't learn it until the end of season four. She wasn't just some upstart. She was the one who set the entire plan in motion, going all the way back to Azazel's original plan to find the special children and opening the Hellgate at the end of season two. So she specifically could escape and set the bigger plan in motion after Dean's part of the bigger plan had been accomplished in selling his soul for Sam's. They needed Dean in hell. They needed Sam on Earth and vulnerable to Ruby's influence. And that is a quality retcon. It's taking all of these what could have just been completely separate plots and tied them together into one bigger overarching narrative by just a combination of luck that all of these elements were already in the plot and vaguely hinted at. But leading up to the apocalypse, that's not something Kripke had planned at the beginning of season one when he was writing Star Wars and Truck Stop America, where they were just going to be fighting monsters of the week and tackling urban legends and stuff. This is something that they thought up later. Even after this, this still hadn't cemented Lilith's true full role in the story. She was just some bigger demon that was going to become a bigger threat to them with this demon army that Sam refused to lead. So retcons are our friends because they make stories make more sense. But this episode firmly cements Ruby as someone Sam can become fully willing to trust, though. She was right after all, and Sam was almost willing to go along with her plan to sacrifice Nancy. If Dean hadn't been there... I think he would have gone along with it. It was only Dean's outrage at her suggestion that swayed Sam away from it. Which brings us to Sam and morality, and the belief Ruby had been subtly attempting to instill in him all this time, blurring lines between what's right and his desire to save as many people as he could. Because we know how personally Sam takes these sorts of failures, and how much he believes it reflects on his worth. Remember at the end of the previous episode, what he'd been willing to do, kill Bobby 
or another innocent human being for the chance of saving Dean. He was right, and it wasn't a trick, but he thought for just a second that he was wrong there. But surface level, at the end of this episode, it has the audience questioning what would have actually been the moral choice here. They want us to be thinking about morality and what the real morality of what Sam and Dean are, the choices they're making throughout the series. Was Dean wrong to insist that they weren't killing anyone to save the rest? Was he wrong to try and find another way? To try to save everyone or go down swinging in the attempt? I mean, that's like his thing, right? Because the end of this episode is begging us to consider that question. It leaves it completely open. And when it comes down to morality and free will, the rest of the series continues to confirm that Dean was 100% right in this episode. And that his insistence on always trying to find another way is always the right and moral choice in the face of a god writing the story, trying to always force him into a corner and force him to make the unthinkable choice to compromise his free will and who he is as a person and his own sense of morality. And I really appreciate this episode for that, even if it has provided me some frustration over the years. (laughs) talking to folks who are watching it for the first time without a bigger picture context and then allowing it to dim their opinion of Dean as unreasonable or somehow morally wrong or stupid even or or just evil for his choices here like that he he was somehow questionable in his insistence that they not go along with Ruby's plan. But honestly, for me, this episode cements my personal feelings that Dean's instincts are almost never wrong. And when they are, it's usually due to extenuating circumstances like he's being deliberately misled or he's emotionally compromised. And he's not those things in this episode. Sam's also primed by the lessons the trickster wanted him to learn last week about what life was going to be like without Dean and how nothing he did could actually save him from his fate. So he's walking into this situation fresh off that experience that felt like months and months worth of horror, reliving Dean's death over and over, and then the rather terrifying lengths he's willing to go to when he thinks Dean's gone for good. That could have happened yesterday as this episode opens. There's a few more things we learn in this episode, though. We learn about Sam and Dean's anti-possession tattoos and see them for the first time, sparking a wave of fans getting the same tattoos and yes confession time I have one of those tattoos I am that kind of fan yes (laughs) I assume they got them shortly after Bobby gave them the demon amulets in 214 born under a bad sign and we're just like uh yeah we're never risking somebody ripping one of these medals off of us we are getting it permanently tattooed into our bodies (laughs) But it's also one of my personal frustration moments because, like, over the years, you'd think that Sam and Dean would just be handing out that design on, like, note cards to anyone they came in contact with who was a hunter or someone who had been possessed or been involved in a hunt for a demon. You know, like, here, protect yourself. This will never happen again. (laughs) Have that tattooed on you. And, yeah, they had a big sack of little amulets that they hand out, but... How come all of their hunter friends didn't instantly get these tattoos? How come it wasn't the first thing they advised any person they befriended? I'm thinking like Jody here specifically. Did she have the tattoo and it was damaged by the demon to get her possessed? 
Did she have an amulet because she didn't want to get a tattoo for whatever reason or who knows? Whatever. We'll talk about that in season 12 when we get there. (laughs) But we can't also forget about the background inciting incident of this entire episode, the stolen cult. The fact they'd almost caught up to Bella only to have her conveniently set them both up to be arrested, which leads directly into the action of this episode. Kind of always made me wonder just how much Ruby had been involved as a middleman between Bella and Lilith, with whom she made that deal by her own admission, but also possibly Crowley, who we find out is the demon Bella actually made her deal with, even if Lilith held the contract and Crowley was later in possession of the cult. But yeah, all of these things do feel connected because they were all elements the story put together after the fact and was like, hey, that's interesting. So yes, thank you. An homage to the retcon because I do truly believe that this episode was written with the intent that yes, Ruby was manipulating Sam because even before the writer's strike, that was to be Sam's destiny by the end of season three to save Dean by committing the moral, great moral compromise and destroying himself in order to save Dean's soul with Ruby's help. I do believe 100% that Ruby was intended to look in the right enough to convince Sam to rely on her more, but also to be completely wrong as per Dean. (laughs) So that's how I watch this episode, and that's how my understanding of the moral lesson it's trying to teach. We've got quite a lot of bonus material for this episode, too. We have casting sides for Sheriff Dodd, for Nancy, and for Deputy Amici. And it's a total of about 30-some pages. Some of them are overlaps, though, so we do have quite a bit of the episode in script format. We also have a three-minute little video featurette on the Blu-ray of Sarah Gamble talking about the episode, mostly what I said earlier about her opinion about Victor, that he may or may not have survived this. They hadn't written season four when she recorded this, so she wasn't sure of his survival or not, and then she killed him, so hey. (laughs) I forgot to mention this last week, but we have some really cool behind-the-scenes photos from the filming of this episode and Mystery Spot, but it's a neat behind-the-scenes look at filming. So I think that covers pretty much all of our extra materials we have for this one. So let's get right into the then segment, which starts even more differently than last week's did. The statement of where we are right now is no longer about John and killing as many evil sons of bitches as they can and their family legacy like it's been all season long. This opens with Bobby telling them, hope to hell you boys are ready This war has just begun with a quick flash to the Hellgate breaking in the season two finale. So they're calling back to that season finale in what they thought could be their series finale. (laughs) But yeah, we're getting back to that original problem of the season finally. We get a quick refresher on everything we've known about Victor Henriksen to this point how he's ready to screw them over completely. Then we get a reminder of Ruby and her magical demon-killing knife. We get Dean pointing the colt at her, her telling Sam, I'm here because I want to help you, and Dean being outraged by this notion, 
And we get the reminder that Ruby was once a witch who sold her soul to a demon in order to have powers, and that's why she became a demon herself. And we get a nice little montage about Sam, who was supposed to be the boy king. But we get the reminder that there is also another demon who wants that job instead and is willing to kill Sam for it. We get another reminder about all the other demons that escaped that Hellgate and the havoc they've caused. And the comment from the season opener that there's not enough hunters in the world to handle something like this. That this is a true catastrophe, the likes of which they've never seen before. <laughs> Little do they know what's in their future. But then we get the reminder that Bella stole the colt. And the reminder that they are hunting Bella down now. Notice there's nothing in this little preview about what Sam went through in Mystery Spot. Because, like I said, Kripke decided to flip-flop the order of these episodes in January. Like, not that long before they aired, but they'd already gone to post-production. So, I guess they figured there was nothing desperately urgent from Mystery Spot and Sam's lessons he learned there to include in this opening segment. But I personally find it very relevant to remember what Sam's mindset was going in here and his willingness to give Ruby a chance and believe her story. But then we arrive at now in Monument, Colorado. And again, we don't know exactly where this fits on their timeline in comparison to when Dean's deal is coming due, but I'm still running on that. It's probably a couple of months left from the time they've lost the Colt through mystery spot to here can't have been more than a few weeks. Sam and Dean barge into a room, guns drawn, expecting to find Bella or the Colt or both. And nope, they find a ringing phone and it's Bella on the phone already driving away with the Colt. Dean threatens to hunt her down and she's like, yeah, you're going to be a little occupied when the police kick down the door and take down Sam and Dean. While Sam and Dean are lying on the ground being handcuffed, Victor Henriksen walks in and they turn and look up at him. And he says, hi guys, it's been a while. His little catchphrase. And then we get the title card. They are in deeper shit than they've been in in a very long time. They'd obviously been avoiding the police in general and staying under the radar and changing their credit cards and identities all the time. And it took Bella literally turning them in in order to get them into this situation that arguably the demons had set up by bringing that whole demon army there too, to put pressure on them in a very specific way. When you know the bigger story of the next few seasons, it's completely obvious that this is entirely a setup for them. Not to kill them, not to trap them, not to permanently remove them from the playing field, but to nudge them into the positions that the demons, and probably the angels too, want them to be in. For Sam to be primed for everything that they're going to ask of him. And so I can't help thinking that if Sam and Dean could only see the bigger picture, the hand moving the plot around them, they'd be aware of this and they would take steps to prevent shit like this from happening. But they do, there's no way they can know that. The audience didn't know that. It's the big twist of the series. But it's like, with retrospect, when you go back and look at it and rewatch it, it's just so wonderful to see 
how you want to root for these guys, but they look like they're in the wrong in this episode. They look culpable for all these people's deaths and they're just not. (laughs) It's all a setup and it was all designed to make them feel culpable, to make them doubt their own choices. We cut to the police station where most of the rest of the action of this episode takes place. Victor comes in, sweeps through, basically takes over the place, releases a prisoner who was in for drunk and disorderly. And the sheriff's like, hey, you can't just come in here and do all this. Victor just talks down to the guy. We know that everything's coming from his boss pressuring him with this one. And he's just passing that shit bag along to the next guy in line, this local sheriff whose station he needs, who doesn't have adequate men to help, according to Victor and what he intends and wants for this scenario. And then he lays out for this guy just how evil he believes Sam and Dean Winchester are, because this guy's like balking at every order Victor tries to issue. And of course, Nancy, our sweet little receptionist, overhears all of this and is mildly terrified by everything Victor says about them being demon-worshipping. Victor mentions that they dig up corpses for fun, and he describes them as Hannibal Lecter and his half-wit little brother, which I find hilarious. Victor, at least, is convinced that Dean is the brains of the operation. (laughs) And Sam, the half-wit who was going to go to law school, you know, like at Stanford. He's clearly not a halfwit, but I guess in Victor's opinion compared to Dean. hmm. But Nancy overhears this and she is terrified, clutches the little cross on her necklace, trying to find strength in her own faith if these actual evil people are coming into her building. When the sheriff grudgingly capitulates to Henriksen's orders, He calls out to his man outside to bring in Sam and Dean. And they come in, shackled at their feet together, handcuffed, just shuffling their way in. Poor Nancy just watches them go by, sitting there fearfully, but she's not like hiding under her desk or anything. Dean tries to make a joke. Why all the sourpusses? (laughs) They look over at Nancy. Sam notices her clutching her rosary. And Dean tells Nancy, he looks over at her and is like, we're not the ones you should be scared of, Nancy. And isn't this just a metaphor for what the show tries to do to Sam and Dean? They're shackled together at their feet. They can't get too far apart from each other, but as soon as they get into the cell and are left alone, they each try and go to opposite sides of the cell and almost trip each other because they are still connected at the feet. Like... Is that a metaphor for their codependency or what? And then they're like upset at each other, but it's like not y'all's fault. You're shackled together like this by the plot. So they shuffle around each other and it's like, dudes, you could have just sat down where you were. But no, they have to reverse positions. Dean always puts himself by the door and Sam just goes along with it. Just like the positions they sit in 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 the Impala, like Sam sits in the passenger side. Well, Sam's sitting in the passenger side of this bunk in this prison cell as well. Like they can't sit any other way, but they make a whole big production out of it. Sam and Dean have no idea how they're going to get out of this one. This was a completely unexpected development. Victor gets told by his boss that he's sending a helicopter to pick up Sam and Dean because we're not going to risk these boys getting away like they did the last time or the time before that, that his boss is coming on that helicopter to take them to Supermax. 
And Victor is not pleased about this, but he's like passing the grief along to the poor sheriff who now has to clear the parking lot so they'll have enough room for the helicopter to land. And next we have another classic scene that for some reason a lot of folks use as proof of Dean's sexuality one way or the other. It's one of his denial moments. I have a long post that I've written about this collaboratively with several other people that I will link in this, describing how Dean reacts in this circumstance. He's the first one to bring up the sexual humor as a defense mechanism, accusing Henriksen of needing erectile dysfunction medicine. So he's already insulted the other man's manhood in a specifically sexual way. Because when Dean's in defensive mode, that's where he finds it's easiest to attack and throw off an opponent. But Victor here is not thrown off. Victor's talking about how he's going to celebrate seeing the two of them in chains. And Dean comes back again with a sexualized joke. Oh, you kinky son of a bitch. We don't swing that way. And then Dean goes on to taunt him about the other times they've escaped from him in the bank, at that jail. And Victor said, yeah, yeah, you're right. But if Victor wasn't sure of himself here, and he is pretty damn sure of himself here, those taunts would have hurt and they probably did land a blow because we just saw Victor get chewed out by his boss for having let them get away several other times before and taunted about, you know, thought this was going to be on your headstone, you know, failed to catch Sam and Dean Winchester. So we know he's already a little bit sensitive and sore about this, but he's also a I'm going to turn around and take it out on another guy kind of guy. And so that's what he does. He tells them, yeah, I'm going to take you straight to Supermax and you're never going to see each other again. After that, Dean's not laughing anymore. He's not joking anymore. He realizes this is the most serious situation they've ever been in. He gets serious and he just shakes his head and it's like, you've got the wrong guys. We are not what you think we are. But now that Victor has the upper hand, he turns it right back around on Dean. You fight monsters? Nah, your daddy brainwashed you with all the devil talk, and he probably touched you in a bad place. So, like, he's already saying, I get what you're doing to me. Here, I'm going to do the same to you, because I'm on the outside of the bars and you're on the inside. When Victor's boss arrives in his chopper, The interaction between them is very clear that Victor expects this sort of treatment from his boss. He holds out his hand to shake his boss's hand, and his boss just hands him a stack of files. Doesn't even bother to try and shake his hand. The boss dumps all the paperwork off on poor Victor and goes to talk to the fugitives. Victor just rolls his eyes like, yeah, yeah, nah. He got put in his place the way he was putting the sheriff in his place earlier. But his boss walks in and shuts the door. This gets Sam and Dean's attention. Dean stands up. He's like, okay, who the hell are you? He introduces himself as a deputy director and then just pulls out a gun with a silencer on it and starts shooting. He hits Dean in the shoulder and then Sam is able to get right up close to the bars to try and wrestle the gun away from him. And he keeps firing into the wall above where Dean's slumped down on their little cot trying to not get shot again. (laughs) And then Sam notices his eyes are black. He's possessed. Sam, of course, immediately begins reciting an exorcism and almost succeeds, except the guy's like, yep, sorry, got to cut this short and smokes out. 
the noise he makes as he does, the scream he makes, that's the first thing that anyone out in the station heard. The silencer was obviously very silencey. <laughs> he didn't hear, they didn't hear any of that. Not even the bullets ricocheting off the cement, but yes, they heard him scream and then go running. They all come in guns drawn, see Sam holding a gun, see the deputy director slumped on the floor, apparently dead, and think Sam shot him. It's like, put the gun down. Dean's like, no, he shot me. And Sam just immediately puts the gun down. What's he going to do? Henriksen's partner confirms that there's no bullet wound in the body. And Dean's like, yeah, he's probably been dead for months. Victor was still holding a gun on him. Like, what did you do to him? You did something to him. And I'm just going to take a moment here to remind everybody how the show thinks about bodies that have been possessed by demons. Yeah, these really quick short-term ones, like these the crowd of people outside who gets possessed, they tend to be fine afterwards. They'll survive being exercised. But people who've been possessed long-term, like this FBI director who's probably been possessed since the FBI started getting onto the Winchester's case in season two, even that he could have been the whole push behind the FBI focusing on them in the first place, demon agenda, you know? So if he had been possessed that long, in all likelihood, he's been dead for quite a long time because demons tend to not take too much care of the bodies they possess. So Being able to save somebody from possession and them being able to just return to their normal life afterwards gets less and less likely over time, it seems. And that just seems to be something that the show has been trying to reinforce for years. Exorcisms are great, but usually they're an extreme last chance of survival measure in most possession cases that they deal with. For folks who are looking for justification for why they stop trying to exercise people in late, as the seasons go on and just resort to killing possessed people and don't really have too much remorse about it, this is why. This is their experience. Victor's like, talk or I shoot. Dean's like, we didn't do anything to him. And finally, Sam is like, he was possessed. Victor obviously does not believe this. He thinks they're nuts. So he decides, okay, fire up the chopper. We're getting out of here right now. Paperwork be damned. My boss is dead. He's not going to complain that we did things out of order. We're just getting done with this. The guy tries to radio out to the chopper and gets no answer. Reedy gets outside only to find four deputies dead and the chopper pilot dead inside the chopper. And as soon as he gets close enough to look in, he radios, they're dead. And then the helicopter explodes. Reedy actually gets up. He's all beat to hell and he sees the chopper on fire. Victor's radioing, Reedy, Reedy, come in. Talk to me. And there's a man behind him who attacks him. Another demon. Quick reminder, we're going to stop for body count tallies once in a while because Sam and Dean have been incapable of making any choices about anything that's happened thus far in the episode. And there are now seven dead people. Back inside the station, Henriksen is just standing there leaning on a desk, seriously trying to figure out what to do next, while the rest of the station is panicking. The sheriff, Nancy, they can't get a line, they can't they can't make contact outside. The helicopters exploded, all of the sheriff's deputies are dead, and then the power goes out. The sheriff is convinced that it's time to go. He's about ready to pack everything up and get the hell out of there because clearly something terrible has happened. And Victor starts taking over the scene. He's like, 
no, this is clearly a siege. There are more of them out there. Right now, the best thing to do is barricade ourselves in here and calmly and rationally work through the problem like trained professionals. That would be a rational thing for an FBI agent to maybe think, but oh my gosh, it's exactly what the demon would want them to do. After the sheriff is convinced that, yeah, okay, that's the plan, Victor goes over to Nancy and asks her if she's okay, and she starts to nod, and then she's like, no, no, I'm not. And he promises her that he's going to get her through this. So she feels at least confident that somebody is thinking and caring about her. We cut back to Sam and Dean in their cell, where Sam is doing the best he can to give Dean first aid for his gunshot wound. They don't exactly have a lot of first aid supplies in there. He's got like a handkerchief on Dean's wound. And then Victor comes in and he's like, so what's the plan? Kill everybody in the station and then bust you two out. Victor is implying that they are behind this bombing of the helicopter and the deaths of all these people outside and convinced they must have an army at their backs. And gosh, over the years, how many bad guys wrongly think Sam and Dean have some sort of leadership over some sort of army? Like, that's like a common thing that the British men of letters truly believed that the hunters had an organized system just like the British men of letters were and that they all reported into like a military and it's like dude no they're just guys (laughs) so it's kind of hilarious that that's what victor is implying here dean insists that whoever is out there is not trying to help sam and dean sam's like yeah everybody in here is in terrible danger victor's like yeah think yeah we realize that they're like let us out and we can help you save everybody victor's like from what Don't you dare say demons. Dean insists that he will survive his gunshot wound if they manage to get out of there alive, but they still don't have a plan. When they spot Nancy peering into the cell block and Sam asks her very politely and very contritely if they could maybe get a towel or something to help tend to Dean's wound. Sam even insists, look at us, we're not the bad guys, okay? And she walks off and they think, no, she's not going to help us. But then she comes back with a towel. She very cautiously tries to pass it through the bars to Sam. She is clearly terrified, not only terrified, but traumatized by what she's just witnessed. Four people she knows and is friends with have just been killed right outside. And she passes the towel through the bars and Sam grabs her wrist and she thinks, oh my God, I'm going to die. He's going to kill me right here. All Sam wanted was her rosary that she had wrapped around her wrist. Except in order to get it, he had to, like, grab her arm and pull her right up close to the bars. Of course, she starts screaming. Another deputy comes in with a shotgun and threatens Sam's, like, try something in and I will shoot you. And not in the arm. A while later, Dean has got the towel pressed to his wound and they're talking, like, how many demons do you think are out there? I don't know. Could be anyone could walk right in and... They're sitting ducks trapped in this cage. And Dean realizes sort of like they're coming directly at us. They've never done that before. And Sam just stays mum. Because remember, Ruby has already told him about the demon that's rising up. Dean doesn't have this information. Sam has hidden it from him. So that just leaves Dean to wonder on his own. Something's different. Something's changed. Why are they targeting us specifically? 
They could be doing whatever their demon army is supposed to be doing, and yet they're focusing their attention on cornering Sam and Dean Winchester in prison. That just seems weird. They're in a situation where Sam and Dean are trapped, effectively. They, demons don't have to worry about them if they're locked in a prison, you know? <laughs> if they go to Supermax or whatever. Why put all this effort into attacking them specifically when they're already out of the way? Because that's not the plan. The plan is to manipulate them. At this point, it becomes unavoidably clear that Victor is not Victor anymore. The sheriff comes into the cells and unlocks the door and insists that Sam and Dean come out, that they're leaving to go to a SWAT facility in Boulder because otherwise they're just going to basically be sitting there waiting to die. Victor comes in and is like, what are you doing? We're not doing that. We're not leaving here. And then just shoots the sheriff in the head. That gives Sam and Dean the opening to grab Victor, wrestle his gun away from him. They figure, oh my God, he's probably possessed. Well, at least they have a toilet bowl full of holy water, thanks to Nancy's rosary. The other deputy comes racing back in with his shotgun, sees what they're doing, Dean pulls Victor's gun on him and tells him to stop what he's doing. And they watch as Sam finishes exercising Victor. The demon pauses long enough to warn them it's too late. They're already coming. I already called them. And then Sam finishes the exorcism and Nancy and the other deputy get to watch that smoke come pouring out of Victor. And they're like, what the hell? They have now seen a demon Victor has now experienced a demon and now has to come to terms with the fact that everything he ever believed about Sam and Dean Winchester was wrong and that they'd never lied about the truth of what they did. Poor Victor realizes, I, I shot the sheriff. And Dean's like, but you didn't shoot the deputy. And it takes Dean like nine seasons more, something like that, eight seasons more before he uh, does shoot the deputy. And makes the punchline of this joke even funnier. But he has to come to terms with he did these things against his will and something else was controlling him. Dean hands Victor back his gun and it's like, I owe you the biggest I told you so ever. Dean is like incredibly relieved when Victor just takes his word and believes him and has them unchained again. He wasn't at all sure even that would convince Victor of the truth. But luckily for him, it did. As soon as they're free again, Victor just asks them, all right, so how do we survive? Like, he now believes them and he trusts them enough that, okay, they are probably the only people in here who know have any clue how to survive this. Sam starts painting devil's traps on the floor. Dean is being tended by Nancy. He's finally got a proper bandage on his bullet wound. And Amici and Henriksen bring in a bunch of rifles and a couple cases of ammo. And Dean's like, yep, that's nice, but it's not going to do you any good. He tells them to put salt on every window and door. And they go off to do it. And Dean gets a chance to talk to Nancy a little bit. Ask her how she's doing. And for the first time in this whole episode, she actually looks like she might be doing moderately better. Dean needs to go to his car to get stuff out of his trunk. Amici's like, you're not going out there, are you? Like, are you crazy? That's where the bad things are. Dean goes anyway. He's cramming stuff in a duffel bag and hears something coming and 
lights start flickering and he starts packing faster and then runs back inside just as this huge cloud of demon smoke just comes barreling right at him. Demon smoke just assaults the building from every direction and it can't find any way in. So after a few minutes, it just whooshes away. They take this opportunity to regroup. Dean hands out anti-possession charms on necklaces, tells everybody to put one on. Nancy asks, you know, what about you two? They reveal their anti-demon possession tattoos. They're all just waiting to see what the demons are going to do next. And Victor takes a moment to look at the sheriff's nameplate on his desk. And Dean knows what he's thinking. Like, dude, it's not your fault. He's dead. You didn't kill him. Out in the other room, Nancy looks out the window and sees a crowd of like 30 people just slowly moving toward the building. And, oh, wow, it's that demon cloud. But now it's taken possession of all of these people, all of whom I will remind everybody are saved by what Sam and Dean choose to do. And then Dean gets to give Victor the welcome to the world of the supernatural talk. The sorry to break it to you, but all these awful things really are real. And Victor actually believes him. Dean's like, if it makes you feel any better, Bigfoot's a hoax. Yeah, that's not all that comforting. (laughs) After the list of things he's already been through that are real. And then Victor gets to lament the fact that he's been doing this for 15 years and he's only captured a handful of evil people and maybe only saved a handful of lives doing it. And yet all this time, this huge thing was just right there. And he never knew it, that all these monsters were out there doing all of this. And he could have saved tons of people like Sam and Dean do. And he just feels like he's wasted his life. Dean's like, well, you didn't know. And Victor's like, yeah, well, now I do. So you kind of feel like even if he had survived this episode, that he would have been resigning from the FBI or finding a way to put his position to use to people who are actually out there fighting all these monsters. Victor asks Dean if he can beat what's out there, if they can win. And Dean's like, honestly, I think the world's going to end bloody, but I choose to go down swinging. And that's kind of his philosophy for an awful lot of the series, right up until the final few episodes. He's not going to give up. He's just going to stand there and keep fighting and keep choosing to do the right thing, the thing that he believes is right. And he should have won. They should have finally gotten a win. But we're not going to dwell on that today because we're still only on season three. We're going to focus on season three. But you can see how these themes come back to the surface heavily throughout season 15. Like Dean's final battle of the series is with himself and fully accepting this belief that only his choices matter and that he's going to keep choosing to keep fighting. And his whole struggle with his identity and everything he ever believed about himself This is like key to his character arc through the entire series. Just as they're laughing about the fact that they are basically both in the same position in the world, Victor and Dean hear a crash in the other room. Everybody goes running, guns drawn. Victor's like, how do we kill her? And Sam's like, we don't. It's Ruby and she's there to help. And Sam is the one who announces that fact. Dean, however, is less pleased to see her. 
we'd seen an earlier shot of the deputy rubbing frost off that window so he could see out it. And we noticed that there was a little gap in the salt on that window. And then we just noticed Sam, after he let Ruby out of the devil's trap, going over and fixing the salt gap. Like he was expecting Ruby to show up. And then she showed up. Ruby makes a comment about how, you know, she had to kill her way in there. But she gives them the data that they needed. There's like 30 of them out there. Dean asks her, well, like, who sent all these demons? And then we realize what Sam's weird little thoughtful look when Dean was like, it's like they're coming right for us. Because Sam knew. Ruby's shocked that Sam didn't tell Dean about Lilith, the demon who's coming after them. Ruby describes Lilith as an up-and-comer, and, and, uh, yeah, funny coming from Ruby, considering Lilith's the only reason she's ever approached Sam Winchester at all, because those are her orders. But Dean is kind of upset with Sam about this. He's like, uh, you knew about this? You and you didn't tell me? This seems like pretty important shit to be keeping back, Sam. Why are you not telling me important stuff about demons who specifically want us dead? Ruby tells him to stow it for later, and that they need the cult. And then that's when they have to tell her, oh, uh, yeah, that was stolen. And of course, there's no way Ruby didn't already know that the cult had gotten stolen, but Oh boy, she gets to really try and rip Sam a new one for having lost it and drive home how stupid it is that they weren't able to keep their hands on it, despite it being specifically engineered to have been taken out of their hands before this. All of this is part of the long con on them. So she presents the only other option they have that might save their lives. She could do a spell that would destroy every demon in a mile radius, including herself. How altruistic, Ruby. But Ruby is 100% willing to sacrifice herself, or so she says, and blames them directly for it. Like, if you hadn't lost the cult, I wouldn't have to make this my dying wish for you to keep better track of your things. Dean asks what they can do to help with the spell, and Ruby's like, nothing, you can't do anything. The spell calls for a person of virtue. And Dean's like, I got virtue. And Ruby's like, "Uh, you're not a virgin. And Dean just laughs at that. He's like, nobody's a virgin. Ruby focuses her attention over on Nancy, who is. And then we have poor religious Nancy, who spent her life believing that the devil was real. And that even her parents were like, thought she had went overboard with her beliefs. (laughs) in demons and and evil and here she has a chance to do something truly good to save everybody she cares about in this town already she knows one of her friends is one of the possessed people outside it's already killed many of her co-workers and she feels like yes I can do this Dean is incredulous he's like no we're not gonna kill anybody and Nancy's like excuse me excuse me because she is just another chess piece in this big game. Ruby keeps insisting that this is the only way, and Dean's like, no, there's gotta, we're, we're gonna find another way. And finally, Nancy cuts them all off, and it's like, will everybody please shut up? Nancy asks if it would save everybody outside, and Ruby's like, well, it'll blow the demons out of their bodies, so if their bodies aren't harmed, 
they'll be okay. And then Nancy says, then I'll do it. Her goal is to save all the people outside, including people who are her friends, almost like that specific friend of hers, Jenna, that she saw, was specifically picked by these demons to nudge her into agreeing to this. But I think she would have done it regardless, even if they'd all been strangers, because that's just the kind of person she is. I can save all of those people at once. Fine. I will do it and be happy to. Dean is like, no, no, we're not going to do this. And Nancy's like, but all my friends are out there. And Victor's even like, we don't sacrifice people. That's not justice in war. Ruby tells them both, well, we don't have a choice. And Dean's like, your choice isn't a choice. Ruby turns to Sam for support. And it's like, Sam, you know I'm right. And Dean is again shocked by this informality between Sam and Ruby. Dean knew that she was trying to get to him, but he did not know the extent to which she'd already gotten to him. Sam can't even give Dean an answer. He's like, Sam, tell tell her we're not going to do this. And Sam just keeps his mouth shut. And if Dean hadn't been there, Sam would have been like, yeah, we're going to do this. And finally, it's Nancy who says, it's my decision. And Dean's like, just stop. Nobody kill any virgins. And honestly, yeah, finally, some sense talking around here. (laughs) Because Nancy's being just as heavily manipulated as all the rest of them are. She was specifically put in this circumstance. And it's horrifying. And it's kind of horrifying that Sam would have been okay with it. Dean pulls Sam aside into the hallway and is like, don't tell me you're considering this. And Sam argues, well, we're talking about 30 people's lives out there, along with everybody still in here. We can't let all those people die just to save one person. And Dean is just like, no, this is not how we do things. We don't throw away our own humanity in order to fight evil. It just reduces us to their level. And yeah, that's kind of the whole point of season four and Sam's whole arc that now becomes part of season four is that Sam is willing to give up his own humanity in order to do what he believes is the right thing. And Ruby uses his desire to save people in order to convince him that it's okay for him to do this thing that makes him less human because he's already infected with it. You know, he's already less human and he's always felt that way his whole life. Like there was some impurity in him. Sam's like, okay, so if you don't want to do this, then what's, what, what do we do? You know, just sit here and wait to die is what he's implying. And Dean's like, uh, yeah, I got a plan. It's not great, but it's better than, you know, killing virgins. Open the doors, let them all inside and fight. Except there's a little bit more to the plan than that, thank God. After being angry the entire time she's been there, Ruby decides that she doesn't like this plan. She's like, I was willing to kill myself to help you win. I'm not going to stay here and watch you lose. Your plan is not going to work. And you know what the funny thing is? It does work. It works perfectly. Yet Ruby still blames them for everybody's death at the end. So she lays on this guilt trip super heavy here. She even goes right up to Sam and is like, I tried. I guess I just bet on the wrong horse. Like it was some sort of horse race between Sam and Lilith 
that he didn't even know he was running and didn't want to run. But this is how Ruby is framing it to him. Sam breaks the devil's trap to let her out. She's confronted with the army of demons standing outside. She's like, I'm leaving. Who's going to try and stop me? She's holding her demon killing knife. So everybody just steps aside and kind of smirks at her as she leaves thinking, aha, yeah, she gave up that Ruby because everybody believes that Ruby's just gone rogue or something. (laughs) Meanwhile, inside, they've got everything set up at three different doors. They've destroyed the devil's traps, brushed away the salt and just flung the doors wide open. And they're all just armed and waiting for something to happen. The demons start pouring in. They fire salt rounds, knocking the demons away as more and more pile into the building. Victor even throws holy water on one demon and he's like, oh, I hope this works. (laughs) And it does. Nancy and Amici are up on the roof watching all of this happen. As soon as all of the demons are inside, they rush to refresh the salt lines, trapping the demons in the building. Sam and Dean end up pinned to a wall by Nancy's friend Jenna, and they shout out, Victor, now! And he fights his way to the tape recorder by the PA system that blasts Sam's recording of the exorcism throughout the entire station with all these demons trapped inside, except it was just a few seconds too soon because one of the demons is able to escape through that final door as Nancy was finishing salting it. He almost turned around and considered killing her, but decided to make a run for it instead. One demon got out. Well, two, if you count Ruby, who knew what was going down. The demons are all evicted. All these poor people now have to put their lives back together and this police station back together. And (laughs) as Victor, Sam, and Dean acknowledge that it's over, the lights come back on and the people begin to rouse. They ask Victor how he's going to file this report. And he's like, whatever the least ridiculous lie I can come up with in the next five minutes. And Dean's like, well, what about us? And Victor's like, I'm going to kill you. Sam and Dean Winchester were on that chopper when it caught fire. There's not not even enough left to ID them with dental records. That's going to be the official report. They are officially free. I mean, they've lost their identities again, but beats the hell out of being on the FBI's most wanted list. A little later on, as everybody's cleaning up, it's just Victor, Amici, and Nancy still in the station. All the other people have gone home, gone back to their lives, They'd all been saved, all those 30 people. When a little girl comes in, being led by the hand by a woman, and the little girl asks and very clearly is looking for Sam and Dean. Nancy laughs at the way she describes them as a tall one and a cute one. And is like, well, okay, what's your name, little girl? And the little girl is like, Lilith. And her eyes roll back and, you know, her white demon eyes And Nancy realizes, holy shit, this is the big demon that they were talking about. The only three people left in the station, remember, Nancy, Amici, Victor. Those were the people Lilith killed. The other people who were already dead, the four deputies, the helicopter pilot, the sheriff, they were killed by demons before Sam and Dean were ever confronted with this choice to sacrifice Nancy or not. And the other 30 people? They're all safe at home in bed. So, yeah, Ruby's going to yell at him real good, but it's manipulation, and it's not even truth on the surface. 
A few hours later, when Ruby shows up at their motel, she storms in and is just like, turn on the news. And Sam does. And they hear about the giant gas explosion, apparently, that had taken place at that sheriff's office and that everyone there had been killed. Everybody in that news report, aside from Victor, Nancy, and Amici, were already dead before this choice would have been made. And Lilith made the deliberate choice to go back and kill them, too. None of these deaths are on Sam and Dean Winchester. None of them. And yet Ruby is going to make them feel as if every one of them was on their heads. But that one demon who escaped past Nancy gives us, the viewers, the plausible deniability to truly believe Ruby's words here. Like, without the critical thinking and the ability to understand the bigger plot, that what she's saying is all for the manipulation. You might believe everything she's saying, and it sounds reasonable on the surface. Yeah, they could have saved all these people. Well, no, they couldn't have because the six deputies were dead already, and the helicopter pilot and, you know, Reedy, Victor's partner, was already dead, and the FBI director was already dead. That happened before any of this came down to Sam and Dean's choices. So, no, they couldn't have saved any of those other people. They could have saved Victor, Nancy, and Amici, possibly, But not by using Ruby's plan. They could have just warned them to get out of there, that there might be revenge coming for you. You know, Nancy had said one of the demons escaped. They may have said, you know, take a long vacation. Go somewhere where you're out of the way. But no, these deaths are not their fault. Ruby hands them each a hex bag to supposedly hide them from Lilith, and they accept them. Then she starts lecturing them about how you have to behave in wartime, That, you know, you have to strike fast and hard and and destroy your enemy before they can escape. Sam is willing to buy into it at this point. Dean is still distressed by this approach. But her parting shot is, so next time, we're going to do it my way. Like, you won't have a choice next time. I'm not going to let you have a choice next time. Because you screwed up that bad this time. And None of it's true. None of it's true. Yet it's emotionally wrenching enough for them to believe it. You know, sometimes you let your emotions override your better judgment. And this is definitely one of those circumstances for Dean a little bit, but especially for Sam. And he lets it compromise him for more than a year to come into the future. But I think we can all recognize the big themes of Supernatural as a whole, especially when it comes to free will and choice and the importance of being able to make your own choices and how horrible the phrase, we don't have a choice, is in this series. Because Ruby was trying to convince them that, no, you don't have a choice. You have to do this my way. We must sacrifice this girl. But what a horrible compromise to make. And there's no guarantee that Lilith wouldn't have come back and killed them all anyway. (laughs) Just because, you know, that was her original point in all of this. Let's take one final moment here to reflect on Ruby's plan. Because this episode basically boils down to Ruby's plan 
versus Dean's plan, which is better. Like it was some sort of struggle for Sam's heart and mind. Ruby wanted to win. She wanted to prove that to Sam that yes, she's as good or better than Dean because I mean, that's a lot of her plan through season four. Even when Dean first comes back from hell in the beginning of season four, it's to leave Sam with the notion that Dean is somehow broken from his time in hell and can't handle the truth and can't handle the task being set before them and that only Sam can and he can only do it with Ruby's help and it's a battle between Dean and Ruby all season long to play tug of war with Sam basically and she's trying to fill the spot in Sam's life where Dean fits but she's also trying to fill every other possible spot in Sam's life she wants his attention a hundred percent Dean's not even aware he's playing this game. He's not aware of the extent to which Ruby is trying to manipulate Sam for ulterior motives. Yet, he's suspicious of her just because of who and what she is. But this was going to be Sam's arc in season three had the rest of the storyline carried out. And he would have fallen to, to Ruby's influence. He would have compromised himself to save Dean and he won't do it again until the end of season four. And I'm glad it's not to save Dean. It's to save the world, he believes. To stop the apocalypse, he believes. But that's not the plan. Sorry, Sam. But the culmination of it, with Ruby saying that their plan was the one with the body count, it wasn't. Literally zero people died with their plan, and at least one would have died with Ruby's an innocent girl who ended up dying anyways because Lilith came back and killed her anyways, just to hurt them. The three people that we saw die at the end of the episode were the only people Sam and Dean actually failed to save, and it was after they'd saved them once. Did they have to stick around there forever for the rest of their lives to stop Lilith from killing them? They had no idea she was going to come back. The only people Sam and Dean failed to save is nobody. (laughs) The whole thing is just Ruby manipulating them. All these people died and that's on you? Well, literally it's not. But if she can make them believe that and feel that way, her plan has been successful. That was the entire point of this episode, was to drive that wedge between Sam and Dean so Ruby could squeeze herself in the gap. Of course, You would never get that from just watching the episode for the first time without the context of the next season and a half to come after it, you know? So why I do this podcast is to go back and say, hey, look, remember how cool this is? Look how amazing the writing was through this entire arc that they planned Ruby's arc out from the beginning even with the writer's strike. This is why I really appreciate season three, because it's often talked down about because the storyline did get cut. But when a storyline gets altered in some way by extenuating circumstances, and yet they still manage to write the entire character arc and carry the story all the way to its logical conclusion, even if it ends up taking a whole season longer than they were expecting, they 
expand on it so much and use every planted seed from season three to make season four come to fruition. And season four might be like the most technically satisfying season from a writing perspective. At least I feel that way about season four. It's it's really up there if it's not like the most satisfying writing arc of the whole series. It would not be that without season three and all this setup. So yes, little credit for season three. They did so much with such a difficult situation that honestly got a lot of shows canceled. They could have very easily just never come back after this episode. Thank goodness it didn't end here because this would have been a terrible ending with them feeling like, yep, we're moral failures and... You know, we got all these people killed and no no chance to ever get any resolution past this. Well, they get four more episodes this season. And then they were one of the lucky shows that survived and got renewed for the following season. A lot of networks just wiped their slates clean and decided to just start over, even with shows that had been successful before the writer's strike. And Supernatural just became the little show that could. <laughs> until it couldn't anymore. Anyway, (laughs) next week we'll be talking about season three, episode 13, Ghost Facers. And (laughs) how it was probably rather hastily written just as a sort of social commentary on this whole writer's strike situation and the reality television boom that happened as a result. Because when you can't have scripted shows... And yet you still have to air shows. You need something unscripted. Unscripted television really, I mean, it got its start before this, obviously. But this writer's strike and these months of networks having nothing to air (laughs) and having to come up with stuff really quick really was the birth of a lot of reality television as we know it today. So, yeah, Ghost Facers gets a chance to mock that just a little bit. Everybody likes Ghost Facers anyways. It's a fun little episode. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at SPNGeorge or at MittensMorgle. You can find me on Discord at Mittens hashtag 4865. Or you can email me at MittensMorgle at gmail.com. And I'm always happy to talk to everybody about anything at any time. And I'm really sick of saying that, but I don't know what else to say. Hmm. <laughs> It's been a week, though, right? Like, what even was this past weekend? And I'm just not even going to talk about it here because, oh my god, who wants to talk about it anymore? (sighs) Formal apologies to the Supernatural fandom for (sighs) being supernatural, as usual. How did we even get here? Whatever. We survived. We'll continue to survive because that's what we do. Supernatural. Have a good one, everybody.